the Bible Study Podcast, Episode 88. This is the final chapter in our study of the book of 2 Timothy. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Today we wrap up the study of First and Second Timothy with Second Timothy 4. Paul writes, In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. In this, the last recorded letter that we have from Paul to Timothy. We don't know if he wrote others that we have lost, obviously. He closes with this final chapter here with a charge to Timothy in terms of what Timothy should do. And you notice he prefaces that with, in the name of God, basically, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and dead. So I want you to take this seriously, Timothy. And in the view of his appearing in his kingdom, so with an eye to God and God's kingdom and where we're going and the direction here and what it lies ahead. He charges Timothy then to be faithful to his calling, to preach the word first. And I think that is not coincidentally the first thing that Paul puts in there. And that is Paul's mission first is to preach the word. And then prepared in season and out of season I think that's an interesting phrase there. What season is Paul talking about there? It's almost like Peter's encouragement in one of his letters to be prepared at all times to make defense of our faith. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. So all three of those have to do with how he's going to deal with the flock, how he's going to deal with the congregation that he has, with the church that he is in charge of. And he's going to bring correction. He's going to rebuke when necessary, which is a harsher correction, I think, but also encourage. He's going to, on all of those things, try and guide people towards the direction of Christ with great patience and careful instruction. So in all of that, he's going to be patient and he's going to make sure that they have sound teaching because that, again, is what his calling is. And then there's this interesting section here, the rest of this, what we call a paragraph now, where it says that there are time will come that people won't put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. This is an interesting section because it makes us wonder, when you go out of church, do you say, for instance, great sermon pastor? What do we mean by that? I think the definition of a great sermon really should be when, and I remember this happening in one of the churches that I went to one time when we had a a young preacher who came and really shook things up because he seemed to preach 
just full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he seemed to preach and you'd, he'd preach and you'd go, I wonder who told him about me. You felt so convicted or encouraged, corrected, rebuked, or encouraged, I think, by the words that he said that it was scary in some ways. It wasn't a comfortable situation. But I think that's what a good sermon is. A good sermon is something that prompts us towards action. And that, again, remember what Paul charged Timothy, correct, rebuke, and encourage, to to take the things in our lives that need correction, course correction, or that just need to be stopped, or that need to be encouraged. New things, perhaps, that we're not used to doing. If we're just starting to study the Bible, if we're just starting to pray, or if we're just starting to do a small group, those need to be encouraged. But I think that sometimes our idea of a good sermon is something that was entertaining something that was enjoyable. And the danger here, I think Paul is saying, is that's not the purpose of it. It's not just to itch our ears. It's not a form of entertainment. It is something that guides us towards Jesus. And so he's encouraging Timothy both not to be that type of preacher, but also he's warning him that people will gravitate towards that. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Sometimes we get tired of hearing the truth, or sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. Or sometimes the truth is too simple, or maybe it's too complicated. For whatever reason, we're turning aside to other things. But Timothy, you, you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, and discharge your duties. So you stay focused. And then Paul continues, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Don't know what was going on in Paul's life as he writes this, but he is probably writing from prison in Rome, and it may be clear to him that his end is coming. His judgment day is close at hand. And it sounds almost like there is a relief in this. And he can look back and say, I know that I have done well. I know that I have done what I was asked to do. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Certainly my prayer for me and for you is that we could have that kind of experience that Paul did, that kind of assurance that we have done what we needed to do when we find ourselves in a situation where our days are coming to a close. And so Paul looks ahead then. He looks back towards what he has done, and then he looks ahead towards this crown of righteousness which the Lord will offer to him, but also to all who've longed for his appearing. And then he leaves personal comments. The first one here is an interesting one. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas is mentioned three times in the scriptures, and each one seems to diminish The first time is especially Demas, and I think the second time is and also Demas, and this time is Demas, having loved this world, has deserted me. Church tradition has it that Demas actually leaves the faith and became a priest for, I don't remember what, Greek god, but he had turned his back 
And so Paul is not only feeling like his days are ending, but he's feeling like he's being a bit deserted. Crescens, and I don't know how to say that one, has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Now, he may have sent them, but he's still without them. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. The interesting thing about that is we believe that this is John Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, and that this is the same person who Barnabas and Paul broke up. They didn't go on their second missionary journey together because Barnabas, son of encouragement, wanted to take Mark along, and Paul said, I'm not taking that mama's boy with me. He left us in the middle of the last journey. And through Barnabas's encouragement or through just growing up, Mark is now someone who Paul says, bring Mark. He's helpful to me in my ministry. And I think that that line is a testimony to the ministry of Barnabas, as is Paul's ministry, a testimony to the ministry of Barnabas. Remember, Barnabas was the one who would come and get Paul when none of the other apostles would have anything to do with him. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left for you at Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. These are obviously very personal greetings. This, these are personal letters written from one man to another who know each other, written from a man to his spiritual son. And these are real people. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. So there is someone who is causing trouble in the church. It sounds like the church where Timothy is. At my defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. So Paul has already probably at this point stood before Caesar. Because that's what he had appealed for in the book of Acts, is that he could come and stand before Caesar. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We don't know. Church history is a little unclear on whether Paul is freed at this point from Caesar and then goes on, for instance, to missionary work in Spain before he is recaptured and executed. There's certainly some evidence that that happened. We know that he was executed and executed in Rome by Caesar by Nero, but we don't know exactly the timing of that. This seems to say that he was delivered this first time and that he did get out, but his days are indeed short. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, his co-workers, also tent makers, who came from Rome, uh, Jews who were kicked out by Claudius, who he worked with on previous missionary journeys, and they're mentioned in the book of Acts. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Before winter, because the ships wouldn't really sail in winter, and if you're going to take a ship voyage, that would be the fastest way from where Timothy is. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. 
as we close the book of Second Timothy, these seem like words that are not applicable to us because the, we don't know who these people are. I don't even know how to pronounce some of these names, obviously, if you couldn't tell from how I read this. But these are real people who worked with Paul. While part of the Bible, this is also a letter from real people who lived out real faith. People who left their cloaks here and whose friends went there. And it encourages me that we too, as real flesh and blood people, can live out a life of faith. That we can, like Paul, at some time look back and say, we have fought the good fight, we have finished the race, we have kept the faith. And with that, we'll end this study of First and Second Timothy. I'm not sure where we're going next week. If you have any ideas, feel free to send them to me. If you have any questions, feel free to send them to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.